Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. Hey guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. Today's episode is brought to you by drjohnrusson.com's 12-week functional hypertrophy training program. Head over to www.drjohnrusson.com forward slash FHT dash program and check out the testimonials and the specifics behind this revolutionary 12-week training program for hypertrophy and fat loss. We are bringing you another epic guest here on Strength Doc Podcast. This week, I have Nick Tuminello with us. Nick's a guy that needs no introduction when it comes to the fitness industry. He's literally done it all in his career from speaking to writing to literally writing books on the shelf that I am currently looking at in my office. I am proud to have Nick on. We really get into a great conversation here. So let's hit it right away. Let's get into my conversation with Nick Tuminello. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today we have the trainer of the trainers with us, Nick Tuminello. What's going on, Nick? Hey, how's it going, my brother? How you feeling? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I know you're doing good. You got your Starbucks there down in South Florida enjoying the weather while I'm up here freezing my ass off in Madison, Wisconsin. So, you know, I hope you're doing better than I am. Well, I mean, if you, if you take it down to what the weather's like in regards to doing it better, then absolutely. <laughs> now, I know you've been, uh, you've been traveling the last couple months, right? You know, been on the speaking circuit out with the NSCA and all that? Yeah, well, first of all, let me just let everybody know that the reason why I'm here at Starbucks actually outside is because the internet went down in my house this <laughs> afternoon, um, so I couldn't, couldn't really help it. So I have somebody coming out tomorrow, so that's why I had to come out to the local Starbucks. That's not the Performance U headquarters at the Starbucks? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's everybody's, <laughs> it's everybody's headquarters, you know? It's like I bought coffee, now now this is my office, you know, that's how it works. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, I just got back... Um, it's gone from about eight or nine days, nine days total. I spoke at Anaheim at the in Anaheim at, at the NSCA personal trainer um, conference, which was awesome. And then I went to Seattle and did a few private in services, you know, just staff trainings for a couple awesome gyms there. My friend Luca Hookover's gym and um, another uh, gym called Impact. And then I went over to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and I spoke at the Elite Fitness and Performance Summit. With uh, Nick Barry and Ryan Ketchum, and those are great guys, and they uh, that was a, they really run a, a really heck of a classy event. So now I'm just enjoying being home and did some training with some clients this morning, and now I'm talking to you. Yeah, man, absolutely. That that's a lot of different speaking engagements in a little amount of time there. Old hat by now. Ah, uh, well, <clears throat> the only thing old hat's probably me. It's a new city, same. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, no, I mean, listen, I love it. It's um, listen, I'm I'm a fan. Who just happens to? I'm a fan of training, and I'm who just happens to get, be able to share 
being a fan with a lot of other fans. You know what I mean? That's how I, that's how I look at it. And you're, you're a fan as well, and I'm glad to be sharing it with you and you sharing your fandom with me. Oh, 100%. And, you know, with that NSCA conference, I know that's a mega conference. Um, who are your favorite uh, presenters that you actually listen into as a fan? Uh, well, first off, the NSCA Personal Trainer Conference is actually not a very big conference. This year is about 350 people. Oh, okay. It depends on whether it's research year. Research, NSCA is every two years. So if it's a research year, that conference is normally around 500 and some, and uh, non-research year is normally 350 or so. So it's actually not not the huge Nat, NatCon National Convention is one of their big ones. But um, who are the people that I like to to, to see speak? Well, um, Alan Aragon was at this one, and I wasn't actually able to see Alan's class because he and I presented at the same time the first day. We we're the only two presenters presenting the first day. We did longer classes, and um, I saw Dr. Susan Kleiner talk. She's awesome nutrition. I saw my old friend who I hadn't seen in about 10 years, Don Weatherwax, who's also, you know, a dietitian, nutrition type stuff. Um, I got to see Alan Cosgrove teach on his uh, ramp, you know, warm-up style, which is awesome. I love to see Alan's stuff. I think I stole one of his lines, like, on the spot there. <laughs> um, and uh, so, it's pretty, so it's pretty cool. There's a lot of, lot of great people there. That sounds like a good time, and I definitely had that confused with the big uh, conference that was in Orlando this year with the NSCA, the, the national. Yeah. Were you at that one too? I was, but I only zipped up there for a day um, because I was supposed to do the SIG. I was one of the experts panelists for the special interest group. Okay, okay. But I couldn't present at it. Okay. Now, when, when you're out presenting, uh, is there a certain niche that you get into? Uh, obviously, being the trainer of the trainers, you're all about continuing education for personal trainers, strength coaches. Is that what you really taper uh, your pre presentations towards? Well, I'm not sure if I understand your question. Is there a certain niche that when I provide education for trainers, is there a certain niche – that, that I tend to educate towards. Is that what you're asking me? Or yeah. Are, are you presenting on the idea of presenting to trainers or are you presenting on specific uh, niche materials? Oh, m materials. Um, you know, I would have to say my main thing is programming. I think I do that better than anybody on this planet. Um, basically what it is is lots of people have their different specialties, you know, kettlebells, barbells, powerlifting, suspension training, what you name it. Those are all methodologies and tools but the fact is that uh, no one methodology or tool is best for all goals. And the challenge that we have now is how does this all fit together, right? Because we all have we all encyclopedias of exercises and we have lots of information in our head. How do I optimize it in a given you know time frame or in a given week frame, however somebody's train how often somebody's training with us and whatnot? And that's that's where I come in. Okay, so really just synergizing the best of all uh, aspects of fitness into you know one type of programming really to affect the most people. Well, not one type of programming, but how to look at how to approach programming to um, to best fit the type of client that you're working with. And uh, I I categorize clients in five categories based off of their main goal. Everything starts with the goal, uh, and I'll tell you the categories real quick. There, it's performance, physique. Physique performance hybrid, I call it the P2, fat loss, and then general fitness and health. So those are the five general types of clients that everybody can can fall into. I'm, I'm leaving out um, special populations here like obesity or post-rehabilitation. I'm leaving those two out, but I'm speaking in generalities here. 
And um, that really is one of the big keys that is actually a frustration I have is because so many personal trainers, strength coaches, they they're dictator, they act as dictators, not facilitators, which means they're already deciding how they're going to treat clients and how they're going to speak to them and how they're going to program for them without ever caring or knowing what the person's goals are. You know, they have, that's why we have philosophy-driven training. We have people who say, I'm an Olympic lifting program or I'm a kettlebell person or I'm a corrective person. And that just means you're going to force lots of square pegs into, into all different type shape holes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everyone likes to say they're this kind of guy. You know, I'm a kettlebell guy. I'm a bodybuilding guy. I'm a power lifter. When in all actuality, for the general fitness public, it needs to be a little bit more tapered towards their goals. But isn't one of the big issues when uh, you get clients in as a personal trainer, as a strength coach, even as a physio, uh, having people identify their goals so you can help them coordinate a program that will actually achieve those? Yeah, did, did you ask me how I do that? Or did well, you yeah, isn't that the biggest thing? Because I, I see a lot of people in my gym and in my clinic that they don't even know what their first goal is. Uh, they don't have short-term goals, long-term goals. And I think uh, just the first and foremost is trying to get ideas out there and trying to facilitate what do we want to take down in the next four weeks, the next four months, the next four years, and really just set the, set the tone right off the bat. Well, that's true. Some people don't even know what they're what they're uh what to ask for a lot of people i don't think many people i mean i've been a trainer for a long time and um i'm only trained very part-time now but at the time i trained full-time and i started very early i started training when i was 17 actually before i could get certified um because you can't get certified till you're 18 got certified at 18 by 18 and a half i had a full book of clients by 20 years old i was a co-owner of a gym for 10 years in baltimore maryland we and i was training 10 11 12 hours a day you know one to four clients per session um, and just a quick side note, I, I love reading these articles. People say, oh, how to spot a bad trainer. Normally, one of the only one, one of the two they say is eats during training clients and takes phone calls. Well, I did both of them. And I, <laughs> I train I circles around most people have, that, I've, that I've met. And uh, reason being is if you're, in, if you're really working that type of time frame uh, and you're not taking breaks, I would ask my clients. This is just a small little rant here. I'd ask them, say, look, either I can take an hour break or I can take you on that hour and you don't mind if I if I just grab bites in between your rest periods. And the client went, yeah, that's no problem. I'd rather you take me and I can get a session with you and have you eat than, than me cancel out than you, you know, take that time out of your day. So that was deciding, that was decided among that individual. Same thing with telephone calls. I mean, I'm not sitting there BSing with my, uh, my girlfriend at the time or, or somebody, but I'll tell you what, if you have a client you better be taking calls just to check because you have clients telling you they're late. You have clients telling you, hey, I have a friend who really wants to join me for my workout today. And if you don't answer that call, they don't join. They don't have them come in to, just, just to say yes or no, just quick calls. And it's easy ways to bring that in. You just tell your client, hey, look, this is my next client coming in. Can I take, you mind if I take this call for a minute? They'll go, yeah, sure. That's never a problem. So anyway, just a small little rant there about those articles because I think those are ridiculous. <laughs> Who just wrote the article this past year on that on T Nation? Was that uh, Thibodeau? I don't know. The same damn article gets written every every year, <laughs> repurposed at, at a spot. It's the same thing, and I go, no, that's not how you. That's how you spot a busy trainer. All right, that's not how you spot a bad trainer. All right, how you spot a bad trainer is someone who has no idea of what's going on, who ignores what's happening in 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 the site with the scientific evidence, and you know who who you can't look at who's not honoring principles, who's not fitting exercises to clients, who's trying to fit exercise, trying to fit clients to exercises, that's a bad trainer. 
what those articles are talking about is how you spot a busy trainer. Now, you work with so many trainers all around the world at this point. You know, when you go in to present, uh, is there one thing that uh, a good trainer will identify themselves with, uh, either a characteristic or a, a skill set that really sets them apart, and you see this over and over and over no matter where you are? Very easy question and has nothing to do with technical ability. Personality. It's absolute personality. I, I used to tell everybody who came in as an internship, we used to take in a lot of interns from different schools when I had my gym, and I would say, look, I can make you beyond a competent trainer in several days' time, certainly in a week. I said, but I can't do anything about your personality and whether people like to be around you or you have a – and that's, that's just something you can't – so anybody – it's all, it's all about communication, man. If you can't communicate, you can't coach. And um, that's – it's certainly a skill that can be improved upon, but it's like singing. If you start not being able to sing, it's going to be really difficult to be able to sing. If you start being able to sing okay, you can become a great singer. But if you have no singing ability to start with, there's not much you can really do with that. I agree. And in any allied health profession, I think having the ability to communicate and communicate your passion for what you're doing is by far the biggest factor of having any success. And, you know, I see it in physio all the time because, you know, people are coming out eggheads and they've gone through eight years of study and they've had to be at the top of their class for all eight, eight years to get through the program. And all of a sudden they're thrown into a one-on-one -on -one situation where communication is paramount and they really fall apart. Do you see the same thing for the most part with personal trainers or do you think they're a little bit a step uh, ahead of the physios out there? Well, no, I can't. I mean, communication is communication. There, it's hard to be ahead of something that is really a personality, a, you know, a humanist trait, um, you know, um, emotional intelligence type of thing. I don't really think – it's hard to say people are ahead. It really is just depending on the individual. Is it a lot of communication practice though and really improving your skill set for communication? Well, sure. I mean you can understand how to best resonate with people and how to make – how to when you talk and you form your words and you're bringing your points across, what do you think is going to be the – which is going to? Do you think it is going to be the highest? You know, more most likely to score, right? So, um, I mean, there's certainly things that you can do to fine tune it, but there really just is a an underlining attitudinal disposition that that forms the platform of it. You see what I'm saying? So, and if you just don't have that type of, um, if you're not that kind of person where you enjoy interacting with people and you're verbal. And your uh, understanding, you know, then that's going to be that's going to be a tough hurdle, and that's going to be very. And then you, you know, unless you end up writing articles about fitness, you're going to have a tough time working with people on the floor, regardless of physical, you know, rehabilitation realm or the fitness and conditioning realm. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, you know, you spoke about you know writing the articles. Do you think that the coaches that are the best communicators in person? Uh, they're more likely to have that skill set to put it to a different sort of media, whether that be on video or writing articles and really expressing their ideas in that way. Or, you know, what, what do you think about that? That's a tough one, man. Um, I mean, I would think if you're verbal, if you're naturally very verbal, it's going to be a little bit tougher to uh, understand, you know, how to do it through text. But it certainly can be learned. That's something that can be that one platform. You know, the, the ability to speak as long as you, uh, you know, because you can write how you talk, right? People say, don't write how you talk. Well, I've been writing how I've been talking for a long time. 
And if and if you know if you write for websites like T Nation, that's why they have editors. You know, they'll uh, they tweak that kind of stuff. So it's not as hard, I would say, as the other one. But other people, yes, start off as a much with a much better platform. They're more comfortable with writing. So I'll give you an example with me. When I work with online clients, which is a very limited amount, we don't discuss programs through through email. We do everything by phone um, or Skype if they're international. Because I want to. That's how I best work as a trainer. You know, so uh, I mean, when we do emails, it's it's for quick questions like, oh, what, how should you know, how should my hand be placed again when I do the blank rowing exercise, whatever, quick stuff. But if it has to do with a little bit of interaction, I tell them, call me. Yeah, I think there's a lot of communication lost uh, on the online sector. You know, we do online training as well, and we even take uh, physical therapy clients online that are dealing with you know pain and dysfunction. And trying to fix pain and dysfunction over an email is next to impossible. So, like you said, you know, getting on the phone is paramount, but also getting on Skype and actually seeing what movement looks like, seeing just the tiny things that you've trained your eye your entire career for as a trainer or as a physio to do, you know, having that work for you because it's not as easy as just sending a one-line email and having everyone be on the same page. You know, communication's tough when it comes to, you know, writing down text. Yeah, but I, yeah, for sure. My, I agree 100%. I, wanna, I do want to say one thing about writing articles though, um, aside, you know, when compared to if we're talking about getting your message out, because we all have something that we want to share with the world, right? Um, you know, how good it is is going to be decided by the market and how valuable it is. But um, that being said, what's what really pushed me to start writing, because I, I was horrible. I was a C student all through high school. Um, I have no college degrees. Um, nobody's nobody's truly self-taught, but you know, uh, I didn't I didn't get where I've got from from college. It was just not. I don't learn that way. I hate authority. I don't like learning that way. So, but that being said, so that was very tough for me to start writing. Uh, it was a very big hurdle for me to push myself to to learn. But what pushed me over the top was that was thinking about this. You know, if I train a client from noon to one p.m. on a Monday. As soon as that session is over, as soon as we shake hands, high five, hug, whatever we do, that's gone. That's a whisper in time, if, if anything, and we're probably going to forget it, my, myself and that client or those clients, within a matter of hours, if not a matter of days, right? But if I write down, if I take the time to write down what I did with them, it's actually the opposite of fleeting. It can grow its own legs. It can become something that you see five years later and you go or you give to your interns and it inspires people and they they reference and you can see what I, where I'm going with this so it has the opposite it's not fleeting it's a it has a growing ability to it at least for about a 10 year window or so so to me if that's not a good enough if that's not a good reason just to take the time to start writing I don't know what is because that's how you leave a legacy I was just about to say, you know, if you want to be, just broaden your reach and reach as many people and make a positive impact on what they're doing, uh, getting it out to the masses, whether it be writing, videos, whatever it may be, uh, that's really key if you are truly passionate about educating people. And that's one thing that you've definitely done, you know, throughout the last 10 years or so, uh, really just focusing in on the writing on T Nation uh, amongst what, 15 other different publications that you've been in with the print uh, and on the online sector, but also, you know, getting out and speaking as well. We're like, because 100, we're like 150, my friend. <laughs> 150 different publications? Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that there's that many uh, websites out there. 
well, I mean, between magazines, well, you got to include European magazines. I've been magazines from Russia, from Norway, you know, Norway Iron Man, <laughs> Russian ones. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Man, oh, you- I was just blowing smoke up a Lee Boyce's butt a couple of weeks ago uh, because he's been in 15. And I was like, wow, that's really good. <laughs> you tell me 150 here. It's blowing my mind. Well, I got I got to jump on. Lee's, Lee's great, by the way. I really like Lee's stuff. I think he's awesome. Um, well, I've been doing it longer than Lee, and I and and uh, so I'm sure he'll get there. And um, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a growing it's a snowball effect type thing, you know. But it's oh, but it's interesting. Like I was just I was just uh, I just threw a quote out for some like men's like you know dating you know men's pickup artist website kind of thing. So <laughs> random stuff that you get when your name is out there, all kinds of people contact you for stuff. You know what I mean? So it's not that tough. Yeah. Can you go back to uh, your first article? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, absolutely. It was on, <laughs> it was on T Nation, actually. Um, it was in 2007, and uh, it was about um, face pulls and triceps extensions and just basically using a longer rope because the, it keeps the rope uh, from opening up as much, and that keeps the force a little bit more even. I don't want to get, you know talk about the whole article here, but it has to do with some basic principles of physics, you know, called, um, called resolution of forces. But, now, how uh, long did it take you to come up with that concept and have the confidence to, you know, go to a publication like T Nation and actually pitch it? Well, it's funny you bring this up um, because the the concept is not something that I came up with. It's first off, it's just basic physics, but I had had a uh, – a, uh, one of the gyms that I worked for, I only I worked for like a couple gyms really early on before I had my own gym. And one of the personal trainer managers I worked for was a very smart guy named Stephen Holt in Baltimore. He's still he's still a trainer and um, has a great place up in Baltimore. And he was a manager at the time, and he was like a biomechanics guy, very smart guy. And he used to talk about using two, you know, two rope handles extended instead of just one. And but I never really knew why or anything like that. So my Mother is a yoga teacher. She's also a PA, and her husband is not only a chiropractor, but he's, he doesn't practice chiropractic anymore. But he's also an engineer. He, he's a practicing engineer for years. And I was asking him about it, and he, you know, was, was a lot younger, and he told me about what it was, and blah blah blah. So then I started getting interested in it and, and whatnot. So I'm um, doing my homework on it, and I thought it'd be a cool article to write, um, which is interesting because it's not really my style in regards to. It's not really what I talk about. I'm not kind of really into the biomechanics type stuff, but I but it was really more along the lines of, hey, this is a solution. You know, here's an issue. Just do this. So I just provided the rationale for it. Anyway, the reason why it's funny you bring this up is because there's another guy who's been talking about biomechanics for a long time. I'm not going to mention his name, um, but uh, I had one of his little crony guys contact me and basically accuse me of you know, of uh, copying his stuff. And basically my thing was, my my article was just arrows and angles, right? And I told him, well, does his stuff have arrows and angles too? You know, if he talks about mechanics, he said, yeah. And I go, well, unless you're accusing, accusing unless you're claiming that he invented physics and arrows and angles, you know what I mean? And you're, you know, you get out of here because you can clearly see my text is nowhere near. They, he made, this guy was making up his own terms for stuff and um, different things. So anyway, I just, it's funny that article. I have a, I have a love hate relationship with that article because it was my first article in first time. I was very excited, and um, I will it will always have a special place in my heart. And teenage will because for giving me that opportunity. But you know, you get slammed back to reality quick. 
you know, when you hear when you get about stuff and you hear stuff like that. So uh, that stuff happens to you. Yeah, I don't think people realize, you know, when you when you do put it out there and, you know, 50,000, 100,000 people are going to read it in a one day period. Uh, you're going to get a lot of mixed reviews on everything, no matter how solid your information is. And I think it takes a special person to be able to not only put it out there and have the confidence in yourself, but also if it comes to it, uh, be able to defend your stance on the subject matter, you know, pretty routinely. Yeah, well, you know, I, you're 100% right. You have to have a, a heightened self of aware, self awareness, and um, I tell people that you have to. I think people had this un misunderstanding between what's confidence and cocky and I'm not saying you know people talk about those two words but nobody defines the difference and the way I define the difference is I tell people this you know you have to have enough confidence to know that no situation is too big for you but enough humility to understand it's still pretty big you know and uh, so I always recognize that what I'm doing like what I'm doing right now I recognize it's still pretty big but I have enough confidence to be very open and do things and you know what I tell people that are students of mine now or fans and you know I'm happy I've dealt with a lot of BS from a lot of these past old what people would call old guard coaches and the longer in this game the more you'll 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 get into that I'm glad that they put me through a lot of the BS that I've had because I come out stronger and it helps me realize what I don't want to be and how I don't want to be looked at and how I don't want to treat people who are building upon my stuff you know because I'm just building upon the people that came before me and they're just building upon the people that came before them—that's how art works, you know. So uh, I'm—I can take a lot of punches, man. So I'm—I'm I'm happy I have. So I can help toughen up the people who, you know, who I get to influence. And you've definitely influenced uh, so many people out there, myself included. You know, when I when I looked at people over the last ten years or so that have influenced the way that I coach, the way that I perceive, um, you know, doing the right thing in our fitness industry. Uh, you're one of the names that really comes to the top of my mind, definitely just from the things that you've been doing on the education side of things. And I think it just speaks to what you mentioned before. You're like, well, I don't have a fancy college education or, you know, I haven't done this and that. But you did things the right way and you had something internally. You were able to communicate. You were able to have that personality. But then you're able to translate it into a different context, uh, able to go out and literally speak to 350 people at a time out at uh, you know the summit and just do things on T Nation year after year after year. I mean it's been 10 years and it's still just as good as it was you know five years ago. And you know battling the test of time is unbelievable in this fitness industry because it just moves at the speed of light but it seems to be that you're just moving right along with it. Well man I'm honored. I appreciate it. Um, that means everything to me you know I mean if it's it's you know, it's it's one thing to have things to be said that you know that I have all these things I want to share, and I still have plenty of things I want to share. But if you can, if you can inspire other people to to say, hey, listen, that that person was a little bit of an influence on me to to go and do even bigger and better things down the road, then that's even more meaningful to me. I think that's what leaving your legacy is really all about. So I I let you really made my day with that, my friend, because I think you're doing great stuff, and and uh, you know I think everybody should really be looking at what you do in regards to uh, whether they agree with you know how you approach things or techniques or concepts that's not what I'm talking about even though I think you have great stuff and uh, it's just you know don't just try to exist within your field try to add to your field you know um, and obviously not everybody's gonna be capable of doing that but if you can and you have something to say say it there's nothing wrong with being wrong and um, 
put it out there and see how it holds up and um, and go from there. And uh, in regards to what you said about test of time, I have two comments on that one. Um, number one, and obviously I've gotten a little bit better at this as I've as it really hit me like after the first two years. But you know, if you focus on principles, um, and notice I'm not just saying focus on the latest science because even science is constantly evolving. Some things are going to be more tinkering than others, right? Like we're not going to find out that you know uh, eating more vegetables is bad for you, right? That we might tinker with. We might it might get as more evidence comes out, we might get some tinkerings in regards to serving sizes or eat a little bit more of this or less of this or something like that, but it's never going to come out that vegetables are bad for you, right? So that's what I mean by, by tinkering. Um, if you focus on principles, your stuff will never go out of date. And, um, you know, so try to focus more, have a heightened responsibility to, and evaluation and just say, and what I, and, and what I, is what I'm talking about right now in this article, is it more about things that I'm thinking right now that I just learned from some other expert person that, you know, are kind of still have a ways to go before they're well established. You know, how do they line up with principles? Or, you know, are they kind of, it sounds pretty good, I hope it works kind of stuff. Or are they, you know, rock solid based on principles, but just my spin on how to apply principles, you know, a unique way to apply tested principles. So I've tried to, um, you know, I can certainly look back at some of my other previous works and pick apart a few little things and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think my stuff really tightened up after like two years, the first two years. And uh, when that became a tenant, I think it really, you know, it became something that allowed me to continue to do what I'm doing. I agree. You know, there's not a whole lot left that's novel in our industry or any industry. You know, (laughs) humans have been on Earth for a long, long time. Our science is so good. Our foundations are so good now. And it's like you said, it's the the little tiny modifications that you've seen work as a coach and maybe they're backed by science. Maybe they're going to be backed by science in 10 years. But it's those tiny things that are based off of the foundations that you can add just a little bit of modification to, a little bit of progression, regression to that can make them a little bit more original to your skill set and what you bring as a coach. Yeah, man. My saying for that is this. everybody. Try, every time you hear something different, you know, people always try to want to pull the, oh, well, you know, this has been around for hundreds of years. These, you know, stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And I said, nobody's reinventing the wheel. Just just give your own brand of wheels, right? There's lots of brand to, you know, go to your local tire place or your wheel play custom car shop. You're going to see hundreds of different brands of wheels. So nobody's reinvented it, but they've provided their own style. But interestingly, you know, um, you know, talk about people, when we get in our field, you've mentioned a couple of times when you put yourself out there. You know, people say, oh, you can't win. Well, you're not supposed to win. You know, you're always going to have people who are going to, you know, disagree and things. But it is a fine line in our field because if you if you just talk about, you know, the people will complain if it's new or kind of different or unique, right? They'll say, oh, well, you're just being unique to be unique. But then if you just say, oh, well, just, you know, do heavy deadlifts and, and lift heavy and eat well, then everybody's going to go, yeah, we've heard all that a thousand times before. What good are you? Blah, blah, blah. So there really is a middle ground point that that is, it just kind of comes, you know, where it's your own unique voice. It's unique enough that people go, that's an interesting way to uh, think about it. And there's a saying, it's either see things, see different things or see things different. And I think if I can help people do that with an, an article, see different things or see things different, then I think I've done my job. Otherwise, I don't bother writing. Um, another tenet of mine is I don't, I don't write the same old, you know, um, deadlift heavy article and to me that drives me bonkers when I see that I know it might get a lot of clicks 
But to me, that like insults my intelligence. Like, oh man, this article's been written a thousand times in a thousand different ways. There's no need for it to be written again. But then again, I'm not a power lifter. I'm not a I'm not a big deadlift enthusiast. So I'm sure if I was, then that would stroke my ego, and I would probably like up every one of those articles. But that's just not how I roll. Now, if you were to classify, so your writing style, your little niche, uh, when you write an article. What differentiates, uh, you know, Nick Tuminello writing an article uh, as opposed to just somebody else and just some random, random article that may be good, may not be good, whatever? Um, I would just say you're going to get. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to have a hard time answering this question, but I'm not. I don't want to send it like I'm positioning myself as better or whatever. It's just my yeah. style. Yeah. Your style. Say, yeah. 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 You know what my style is. This if you, if I write an article, you best bet I didn't bother writing it unless I had something that I am passionate about, but not just passionate about because that doesn't make it valid or useful. That that has not been said the way I'm going to say it. So you're going to at least get one little nugget that you can say. Okay, I haven't heard somebody say it in that way, or you know, apply that logic behind it, or brought up a point. I'm not just going to do the regurgitation of things that have been said exactly the same way by by other people you know I'm not gonna play the I'm just the shadow of this person or that person's um, you know I have my own unique voice um, I have influences like bands have musical influences but I still have my own unique sound so that's what I would say you know if you if I come up with a DVD product or a video product or a YouTube video for the most part you know unless it's for a very mainstream website they're like hey just show us your top three upper body exercises that everybody can do well, of course it's gonna be basic. <laughs> but if you come up with something then it then you can best bet it's gonna have a little bit of a, of a of a unique flavor to it that you can go oh that was you know I hadn't heard spoken like that before I hadn't seen that variation or I hadn't seen it coached that way or something like that otherwise I'm not gonna bother I'm not gonna bother putting it out well, it's unbelievable that, you know, you put out so much and all of it is such high quality. Uh, you know, when you're talking sheer volume, it's unbelievable the amount of stuff coming out from you. Well, hey, I think I appreciate it, man. But, you know, I'll tell you what, I still am not, not nearly done. I mean, a lot of people think that just because this stuff is new in regards to when it comes out at this time, that it means, you know, it's new to me. It's actually not. This is stuff I've been thinking about and practicing and cultivating and utilizing since you know the late 90s and early 2000s i just now have a voice that people are paying attention to and it gives me a, a you know it's a fire to continue putting things out you know obviously what took me time is to better communicate it for people who aren't inside my head or can't spend a week with me that's what's taken me the time is sometimes i'm not I, i've been using something for years but i don't i'm not ready to talk about it on prime time because i don't have the thoughts organized appropriately to communicate it properly but I'm not doing anything new in regards to uh, what I hadn't done with clients for years and been doing for years. It's just it's only so much time in a day to write about it. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're as busy as you are. Now, you said something that uh, sparked me up uh, just a couple minutes ago. You know, you said just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you should be writing about it. And I've heard you say before uh, the term fitness hobbyist. And how they're just like infiltrating the personal trainer, strength coach, uh, that just area of expertise in our industry. Uh, can you expand on the fitness hobbyist? Sure. Well, by the way, I appreciate you reading my, some of my work about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, you're a fitness hobbyist. I'm a fitness hobbyist. But the, the clarification is 
not only understanding the difference between when you should act as a hobbyist and when you should act as a professional, all right? And that's really what it comes down to. So what I was delineating is that right now we have a lot of people who really are stoked about training, you know, like they lost a lot of weight or they started CrossFit and then changed their life or whatever, you know, the community, whatever it is that they did. So they become certified, but they're really more interested in getting other people excited about their hobby, right? They don't necessarily consciously understand that, but we, we see a lot of that, um, which is why we see a lot of arguments. Like anytime people are challenged with evidence or logic, they always, re they always revert to these emotional type arguments. And that goes to show that it's more religion. It's not about science. And, um, and that's a shame because training, people say it's an, it's, it's an art and a science. I say it's the art of applying the science because if you're not applying the science, I'm not sure what you're applying. But um, – um, you know, so that's, that's it. It's just understanding that a professional, it's not about you. The session is not about you. It's about the individual, what's best for them and what they're interested in doing, why they're coming to you might not be the same thing that gets you, the trainer, i.e. the hobbyist excited. It might not fit your hobby, but that's not what a professional is all about. A professional is a guide person. Hey, where do you want to go on the map? You know, just because me, the trainer, doesn't care about visiting that place on the map doesn't mean that I can't cut you the safest path. So that's a good analogy because a lot of people then want to say, oh, well, I don't tell my accountant how to do my, you know, do my taxes. So let the trainer, you know, why are you letting people tell you how to do your training, Nick? You're supposed to be the trainer. No. What I'm saying is that the client points to the end goal on the map where they want to go. The trainer's job is to cut them the safest and most direct path to get there. The trainer's job is not to, based on their hobby, cut them in a different, cut them to an end, cut them a different path that ends up in a different spot on the map that the trainer thinks is cooler. Uh, this is not to be confused with making more realistic goals. Someone should say, can say, sure, I want to lose 10 pounds in uh, 10 days. Maybe you just say, well, that's not really that safe. You know, maybe we can cut off your leg or something, but. I don't do that. Um, why don't we look at 10 pounds in a few months, you know, one or two pounds a week? Okay, that's more realistic, but the goal is still fat loss, you see? Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, when people come and they, they get into the workforce in our industry, um, you know, you've touched on personality, you've touched on the communication skills. You know, if they're truly a fitness hobbyist and they love what they do, um, shouldn't they already be good communicators? Shouldn't they already be passionate about what they're doing? Why wouldn't those people be the best trainers? Well, it's a really good question, but it comes down to just because, again, you're passionate about what you're doing. Again, it's for your own self. You know, I mean, like you may be passionate about being an MMA fighter, right? And getting punched in the face is no problem for you. But most people that walk into an MMA school have no desire to you know to fight now I'm not most coaches know understand that so you know just because you're passionate about something it's what you're passionate about is it something you're passionate about your own thing or are you passionate about helping other people find their thing or facilitate them you know in the process and being understanding so there's a different it's 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 a different type of passion right you can have both like I said I'm passionate about my own thing but I'm more passionate to be honest with you about um, being the best trainer and educator I can be. Um, you know, I have a saying, you can only be elite at one thing. And, um, you know, and the more spent time I've spent working on education and stuff, guess what? The less mental energy I've spent focusing on becoming the, you know, the, the, the fitness and training stud I was, you know, beforehand, right? I used to train three hours a day. I would do bouldering and then I'd go over and spar with fighters at downtown Baltimore and I'd lift with my NFL players or figure girls. 
you know, now sometimes I have no problem if I miss the gym for three days because I have deadlines to meet, right? Um, it's just whatever your priorities are, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm going to a flashback here of a couple weeks ago. My wife and I were down in South Florida. You know, we haul the kids with us. So we got the young baby. We have the, our daughter. And we are just itching to get a workout in. So we drive to the gym, you know, just some podung gym. And the door's locked on it. It's like 9 a.m. There's no reason the door should be locked during a weekday at 9 a.m. So we're banging on the door. And the general manager comes out. He has a big T-shirt on. Says general manager, and he answers the door and says, uh, "I'm training right now. You know, I can't, I can't charge you guys to come in on a day pass. I'm training." <laughs> so I'm like, "Hold on, dude. You know, like you own this place. You're the general manager of this fitness club. It's like you're not going to sell a membership. Like I thought that's your job." No, no, I'm in the middle of my training session. I'll be done in an hour and a half. <laughs> and I, I went back to the like the fitness hobbyist. Like I heard you say that, I think it was last year, and I was like, man, that's just the perfect, perfect situation of this guy doing that to us. Well, yeah, I mean, hey, and good for that person for understanding what his boundaries are and what he wants to be elite at. But if you want to be elite at that, that takes that it's gonna that means you're not gonna be an elite gym owner, you know. So that <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because a lot of times people you know, trainers. So this is a kind of a, a primary example of what a what a fitness hobbyist is. Right now, we have you know, right now, powerlifting is very trendy. I'm not saying powerlifting is new. Powerlifting has been around for a long time. It's just currently the the hotness right now. There's more people want, talking about deadlifts and doing deadlifts and deadlift articles than ever before. Just like beards aren't new, but beards were trendy up until about two months ago, right? <laughs> you know, so. Um, so of course we have this kind of you know more people are looking to power the powerlifting community and things and that's great we should learn from everybody but we get this fanaticism about it but anyway because of that we have this idea that uh, so a lot of people that are in training are really into either you know getting a bigger back or a bigger deadlift right that would be physique or performance so most trainers are they're hobbyists they're essentially gym rats so when their clients you know really don't care about getting a bigger deadlift. I'm not saying they don't care about getting stronger, becoming more capable, but they're not chasing a certain number and they come in, you know, oh, well, you know what? I, I didn't get to bed early last night and they, you know, the, and the, and, you know, the typical stuff, they cancel appointments, just the normal stuff. The trainers always get frustrated and they say, oh, this client really doesn't care or when these people don't change their diet. No, it's not they don't care because this person's been coming in the gym for three years and seeing you twice a week and paying you $80 an hour. You add that up, they've They've given you, they've, you know, they've, they've bought you a Mercedes over the last three years, essentially. They care. They just don't care what you want them to care about or what you care about. They're training for um, stress relief, to feel better about themselves, to meet challenges, to, to be better humans. They're training uh, for, if we look at the science, to reduce all-cause mortality, you know, try to lead a better quality of life. Weight management, they're training for defense. These are all very reasonable things to train for, but... But the hobbyist is blinded to them because they think if you're not training to be a gym rat, then you might as well not even be here. Go hard or go home. And that's a toxic – that's a problem. Um, so that's where – that's a really big – that's a really big example of what separates a hobbyist from a professional. Fitness professional considers the, the bullet points that I just provided. Well, this person may have said they wanted to lose fat, but they've been here three years and haven't changed their diet once and I've given them every – you know, every tip they can to behavior change and knowledge and all everything in between. What they really they what they really asked for in the beginning is not what they wanted. They just didn't know any better. So they just said fat loss. What they really wanted 
was to feel better about themselves and to get some regular exercise and feel like they weren't going to hurt themselves to get some smart direction. Okay, great. I can provide that. That's a professional. Yeah, and that goes back to you know, like what we were talking about before, setting those goals, but also being on the same page with your clients, like having the same communication patterns where you can have the confidence that you're going to get a report that's actually uh, you know, the truth as opposed to just some falsity that somebody is going to tell you just because you want to be hearing that as a trainer. But you know, along those lines, are there certain things in the trends in the industry that you see going out and teaching all of these trainers and coaches that just have you just mind boggled at the end of the day? Um, well, that was one of them I just kind of gave you. Yeah, you know, for sure. <laughs> highly, highly elitist mentality. Oh, well, you're just giving people an excuse to be mediocre when I say what I just said. And I go, well, actually I'm not because these people aren't have, have no problem being mediocre in the gym because they're not trying to be gym rats. They're trying to be elite doctors and elite lawyers and elite moms and dads. You can only be elite at one thing. So to them – they're just trying to exercise for general health and for the recreational aspect of it. You know, they're just being elite at something different, and that's what I mean. That that very narrow-minded uh, approach. That if you're not trying to be elite in the gym, then you have nothing else to be elite about. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's and that's what I'm saying. It's like there's more to it than you know. So some people live to train, other people train to live. That's what it comes down to. All right. Most trainers live to train. Most clients train to live. Um, so I would say it's the ignorance or lack of um, willing to acknowledge that simple reality uh, is one thing. And the other one I would just say is that, you know, this idea that certain training concepts are mutually incompatible, exclusive. For instance, debates like uh, single leg training versus double leg training. I go, why are we, why is this a debate? Who says you can't do both? Like why? Why is it if I if I use barbell squats that I can't follow that up with single leg RDLs? Like, why do I only have to use double leg training or only use single leg training? Right? That's the or you know this whole idea of um, powerlifting versus Olympic lifting or 3D training versus bodybuilding. Well, who says I can't do some rotational work and do some bicep curls and some shoulder work at the end of my session and do some you know, cable chops or whatever at some other point in the session. Like, w these all have benefits and limitations. I wrote a peer-reviewed article about this in the last personal, uh, NSA personal trainer quarterly called A Mixed Approach to Resistance Training. And I went through each of the foundational types of training, Olympic lifting, basically a total body explosive training, strength training, compound lifts, isolation lifts, and 3D training, which I call cross-body exercises. And I showed with 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 good science and, and good uh, principle-based references that each one of these elements has ben both benefits and limitations. So if you're not training to be an elite power lifter or an elite in one of those areas, which would mean a general athlete like a field court combat athlete or a general fitness client, you're better off using some mix of all of them because each one of them has its own unique beneficial value. If you think about it like nutrition, there's a reason why – you know, a nutritionist wouldn't say, well, the only vegetable you need to eat is zucchini or carrots because even though those are high in certain nutrients, if you if you don't eat other vegetables, you're going to leave your diet deficient in, in other nutrients. Same training can be thought about in the same way. So I think all those kind of this versus that arguments are 
are ridiculous, and I don't understand why people think they have to have them. Yeah, the absolutists, um, it, it kills me as well. But going back to something that you said, um, so say you're a trainer, say you're a coach, and you're really passionate about what you do. Obviously, that's why you do what you do. But is it too much to ask for your clients to be focused in on the sessions and really just try to make the most of the time that they're spending either with you or working out themselves or anything along those lines of fitness? Uh, I'm not sure if I understand your question. You mean with their focus? A big thing that I get into with my writing is, you know, if you're going to train, if you're already going to devote the time, you know, just maximize the time that you have in the gym. So, you know, have a laser focus on it. Try to master a few foundational things just so you can do this forever. You can have some longevity to it and you don't need to go to a personal trainer five times a week for the rest of your life. You know, just try to make it a more educational-based uh, personal training session, physio session, whatever it may be, just so you can lay down that foundation a little bit better with some focus and some mastery. Well, sure. I mean, I don't, I can't disagree with you at all on what you said there. Um, that just said, I would say that not everybody is going to, as somebody who's trained, you know, hundreds of people and, um, not everybody is going to want that. I mean, you know, anybody who's been training for a while, if you take the time to ask your clients or you just talk to them, you're going to have clients that just say, look, when I come in here, I don't want to think, I don't want you to talk to me about this. Just tell me what to do. All right. And they really look at you like an adult PE teacher. Right? <laughs> well, we can laugh, but that really is a case. And um, so, what they're really saying is, look, you know, I spend my day with I can't. My brain is rolling a hundred times. You know, I'm a surgeon. I'm a lawyer. Whatever. Everything comes out of here. What I'm paying you for is to do that for me. That's why I'm paying you right, this stuff, right. uh, and just to give me a solid direction. And you know what? That's okay for them too. Um, because they're in good hands if they work with you or work with me or work with another passionate trainer who's uh, who's knowledgeable about their education and things. I think that's okay. So that's not going to apply to everybody, but I'm certainly not against that. And and, and uh, some people may change. They, have, they may become the, you know what, I, I'm ready to think. I'm ready to learn a little bit more about why you have me do this. And um, they'll come around when they're ready. I think if the reason have, that, you know, that topic just resonates with me as a professional is that I really correlate uh, lack of like foundational skill and mastery. Like I'm not talking about like being able to Olympic lift to the, you know, the nth of your ability, but just to be able to, to do a press, a push, uh, a squat pattern, a lunge pattern, a carry, just so you can do it and really just lock in the patterns so you can use them forever. But I correlate the inability to do that with an increased risk of injury. And if you're getting hurt uh, while training, you know, that's just shooting yourself in the foot. And, you know, shame on the coach if you're using a coach or shame on whoever's doing your programming because, you know, that just sets everyone back, you know, hundreds of steps. Well, I can't disagree with anything you said. And I think, so now I better understand your point. I think there's a difference between exercise competence and programming ability you know even the even the, the person who's the most staunch I don't want to think type being a person who says look I don't want to think don't give me any technical explanation just tell me what to do they're still have to be you know present when you talk to them about coaching points in regards to a squat or a dumbbell press or whatever and there's only so many versions of those things so if they train with you for a while they're certainly going to know how to they're going to have a basic competence of, of exercise execution, at least the exercises that you're regularly using with them. So, what I, what they mean by not not think is not is is isn't about 
thinking about exercise execution. It's just not thinking about programming, organization, and prioritization. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you have to have that foundation, uh, no matter if you want to think, not think. If you don't want to think, then go on a freaking soul cycle class and cycle your brains out for an hour and a half. But, you know, if you if you want to train, you know, at least put just the minimal effort that it takes to stay safe in the gym. Uh, and I think that will just keep you covered. Yeah, well, I have not met one. I have not met one client ever who says, you know, who says I don't want to. I don't care about memorizing how to execute a, a an exercise, you know, in the safest way possible that optimizes my levers. Nobody ever says that. You know, <laughs> like I said, that's what we're talking about. What you're talking about is competence, exercise execution, and, and competence when you grab a dumbbell and you're going to do a row. How to do it in a more safe, effective manner. Everybody cares about that. They just don't want to think. Well, you know, how should I organize this session? You know what I mean? Right, like that, right. that, that's what they mean, but I don't want to think. Yeah, and really a lot of people, I mean, I'd say a vast majority of trainees, they'll never get past those foundations. So even if you're working with a personal trainer or a strength coach, um, it's just mastering the basics over and over for the course of your career. And if you can do that, you're going to be really sound for the rest of your lifting or training or physicality career. Well, let me let me. I know this is you interviewing me here, but I I'm I'm, I'm really curious about this because I ask trainers this a lot because we say master the basics a lot. When you say master the basics, give me specific examples of what you mean. What are the basics? What are you referring to? You know, for basics for me in my office would be you know the top five movement patterns, and then being able to put just minimal load on those and still stay competent. So when I'm talking about some push variation, a pull variation, uh, a squat variation, a lunge variation, and then a hip hinge, and if you want to go with one more, it would be some sort of carry, being able to keep a pillar strong and you know protect the spine, shoulders, and hips. So the competence to create at least body weight movement with all of those that are very competent, but also just going one step further and able to eventually put some sort of load whatever implement you want to pick on those. Okay, I can dig that. <laughs> well, I mean, we practice, um, you know, the FMS, SFMA, you know, those are parts of our evaluation process. So I guess that's where it stems from. Uh, a little bit with my physio background, I'm always looking at movement patterns. You know, I'm not a movement specialist. I'm not a functional training guru by any means. I like to lift heavy shit. And I like for my clients to eventually have the ability to do that if they please. But uh, I think just uh, being able to move like a human and be able to stay safe while you're doing it, uh, if you can do that, you've really won in my book. Cool. I can't, I can't disagree with anything that you said. No, I'm going to throw that same question back at you because I want to hear your take on it. Uh, well, yours is actually very similar to mine, you know, because when uh, – we always talk about movements, you know what I mean, foundational movements, but what we end up really talking about when I ask people, well, what does that mean? They normally talk about exercises, you know, push-ups, squats, hinges, things like that. And um, it was actually Josh Hankin this past weekend. He says, what's the difference between a deadlift and a hip hinge? And most people were silent. He said, well, a deadlift is a version of a hip hinge, but not every hip hinge is a deadlift. And exactly. he's 100% correct. And this is something that – sorry, there's a car pulling away here from outside – um, and so that's where I'm just curious because a lot of times when we talk about basics, we actually have certain exercises in mind, and that always concerns me because that becomes that you know fit exercises, uh, 
you know, fitting people to exercise instead of fitting exercise to individuals. Right, so right. I, I look at it very much like you, you know, we have pushing, pulling, rotation, locomotion, you know, raising and lowering our center of mass. Um, and um, there's so many permutations to do that in, and uh, so I don't, so even to me, I just look at a lunge, a squat and a hinge as all permutations that fall within raising and lowering our center of mass. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't, I, to me that there's only basic human movement patterns, um, of which there's lots of ways, you know, to express them. So I don't even necessarily get caught up in saying, well, everybody should be able to form a basic squat because not everybody can perform a really good squat, you know, based on that doesn't mean anything. I, nobody's, I haven't seen any really good evidence that, you know, your, uh, your heart's going to jump out of your chest if you can't perform a real, a squat like a baby or what people say and whatnot, you know. You just have to be able to raise and lower your center of mass. There's hip dominant ways to do that. There's load sharing ways to do that. In most most cases in movement, we actually see more of a load share between the knees and the hips. It's rarely hip and knee dominant. In fact, that actually becomes less efficient when you dominate in one area than the other. Um, so I, this could be a more nuanced topic, but anyway, we're, we're more similar than different on, on Yeah, absolutely. And you made a really good point. You know, there's... Uh there's a exercise, so say the barbell deadlift, and then there's a hip hinge. So not everyone is going to be able to barbell deadlift. Even if you're training for 10 years, you may not be able to, you know, produce the right joint angles, the right stability patterns to do so, but guaranteed that you're going to be able to find a regression off that optimal barbell deadlift that you're going to be able to be able to practice and eventually load up at some point if you really have a mastery on that thing. And when I talk about those, you know, six foundational movement patterns, it's just a progression or a regression based off of those foundational movements. And I think if you can do that, uh, you're going to have a pretty well-balanced program and you're going to be good to go for the most part orthopedically. Yeah, well, I would just say... Um, I would choose not to use the word, I mean, I'm not against using the words progression and regression, but I would choose the word based off of the point that we were coming off with, with not everybody's going to be able to do a barbell, you know, deadlift or Romanian deadlift. I would not say, I would not choose the word from there, go immediately with find a regression from that. I would say find a variation from that because just jumping immediately to regression basically sounds like, oh, well. You're lower on the totem pole. Uh, you me. suck. You're going down a you notch. Know, if you can't do this. You're going down a notch. But the problem is, is that idea that of looking at an RDL or a regular deadlift as if it's, if it's, it's a necessary human ability. You see what I'm saying? That yeah. therefore we have to regress from it. No, the necessary human ability is just basically raising and lowering your center of mass. There's lots of ways to do it, and when you find the ones that best fit you, then you do. You know, which is variation. Then you find, you know, regressions and progressions based off of, you know, your current ability to, to what best fits you, right? Right. I, so, I guess the reason I use uh, the terminology progression and regression is just based on, you know, the requisites of the movement, whether it has more going on, more moving parts, uh, just the complexity of the movement itself. If it becomes less complex, it, it would be a regression, more complex, a progression off of that. But I think it's uh, saying the same thing, just a little bit different terminology. Yeah, I, I agree. I appreciate your um, you expanding that definition, and when you provided me that definition, that makes that makes more sense of why you were saying it that way. But see, if this went over in an email, we'd be like, "What the hell is he talking about?" <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's why I like verbal. Uh, that's why I also don't like getting in Facebook discussions. 
Man, oh, you just went down the rabbit hole on that one. You know, especially in our industry, Facebook is just a monster right now. You know, there's not a whole lot good happening, uh, you know, progressively between coaches, between athletes and coaches, and just the general public. It all seems to be, you know, pointing fingers and just very judgmental and not very proactive and not very positive in influence. Yeah, um, I I can't disagree with that. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean this. Uh, it's you know, it's a bunch of chefs, dude. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, like you, you all know what too much chefs and too many chefs in the kitchen, and you take the humanist side out of it, and uh, you know, I people think it's not real. They go, oh, well, you know, Facebook, you know, and, and then if they joke, well, in real life, I do this, and I go, well, uh, do you realize that everybody on Facebook isn't a robot? You know, these are real humans with real thoughts and feelings and emotions, like. It is real life. Like I don't, I don't get that. So I mean, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things to go, you know, that can be said to it. But um, you know, I don't really think it's it's terribly productive to do that. And actually, I have a little saying that um, you know, interesting thing happens when experts, you know, I say that with quotation marks, you know, get in debates with uh, other people, and and uh, and that is this: they, you know, they force what they get, they force for free and give for free to people who don't want information from them, what they, what they make their fans, their fans who actually want it pay for. And, uh, it, it really is the, to me, it's the, uh, it's, it's a laugh or when you, when you look at it like that, but it just continues to happen. That's why I don't do it. You know, cause to me, I'm insulting to me. I'm, uh, I'm insulting my paying customers when I just give away what I made them pay for, for free from some person who's, you know, just deciding that they're um, they're gonna make me into their personal sounding board, you know. Yeah, you know that's true. Uh, you know, it's a fine line between you know just trying to be a good guy out there and just giving people like tiny tidbits that don't mean shit to us as professionals. It's like matter of a fact, and you know, giving too much away and really just kind of pissing on the people that have supported you with your products and your programs and listening to you speak. Um, you know, I think there's a fine line between that. Yeah, well, listen. I, I I talk about setting precedences, different things. I have a very I'm very very straight with this, and it comes down to this. All right, if you didn't pay for something from me, I don't owe you shit. All right, I don't owe you an explanation. If you don't like something I wrote in an article, I don't owe you an explanation just because you read my damn article. All right, you know the only people that I owe an explanation to are the people who came to my workshops or bought a product from me or you know paid for an internship. You know those are the people who I will give as much explanation as they ask for and past clients and people who's you know who've who've, who've been who've paid it back to me you know they've they're constantly there supporting my product they're constantly there supporting the voice if they have something they want to take up with me then fine they've earned that but this whole idea that you're owed an explanation simply because you you wrote it on Facebook or you shared it on my wall I don't like that sense of entitlement that actually bothers me um, you know and I'm not going to uh, feed into that sense of entitlement that people have. So that's really what it comes down to. Hey, you know what I mean? You didn't pay me anything. You know, if you want more from me, then we already get that I'm willing to give you for free by my current Facebook post or my current article that you got for free on whatever article, then, then you need to give something more, which is pay me my consulting fee or, or buy my product or, or whatever. And that's not me trying to pull them in anything. That's just how life works. You know, if you pay for a regular haircut and then all of a sudden you say, well, you know what? I, I want my nails done too. You know, I want a pedicure and a manicure, whatever. Uh, well, give it to me just because I asked for it. Well, that's an extra thirty dollars, my friend. Same thing, you know. 
you know, when it comes to intellectual property though, or putting out ideas, people have no respect for that. They think it, they're just owed it. It's like, man, I signed on Facebook. I'm going to get this information and then I'm going to yell at this guy if I, <laughs> if I don't agree. And then I want him to take the time out of his busy day to explain exactly what I don't agree with, even though it won't change my mind. Uh, it, it drives me crazy too. Well, that's, that's the illusion. That's the illusion of, of everybody's opinions being equal. Um, and, uh, and no, no, no. And let me, let me, under, let me, let me unpack this a little bit because it, it deserves it. Cause I don't want it to make it sound like I'm positioning myself or, or us above people in a, in a way, but there is a difference. Or I'm not saying above or below, but there is a difference. And here's what I mean. You and I, are known as you know trainer type people or you know are contributing to the field leaders experts whatever you want to call us but we have no reputation in regards to ha in regards to being uh, NFL commentators right so nobody our we can talk about the latest you know this past Sunday about our our teams you know I'm from Baltimore I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan my team's doing horrible this year right but they're a great team I could talk about them all I want but nobody really has any I don't have a reputation as, as being of having my opinions being of value because of my previous body of work. I have no body of work that demonstrates I, my opinions are of, of value in that arena. You understand? You are what your body of work says you are. Now, there are people who are on the radio who talk about this. They're, they're, they're hired to talk about their opinions because of their past experience as a coach or as a color commentator or, or whatever. So that's the difference. Everybody on Facebook simply thinks, well, I can talk about this too. I have feelings about it as well. Yes, but your body of work, your previous body of work, it shows you what you are. You and I have a previous body of work that, that positions us differently than it positions them. You understand? So based on your qualification. And so, no, things aren't equal. That's why it's not, it's not just opinions. Some people, that is what their living is. They're getting paid for their opinions just like football commentators are paid for their opinion on on football yeah it makes a lot of sense um <laughs> the best is though you'll get the message that says uh i'm qualified to make this comment because blah 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 and then they'll rip you a new one <laughs> and i'm like oh god yeah uh, well you know it, uh, listen you, like i told you you, you can't you people say you can't win you're not supposed to win you know if this is what you sign up for all right you know like just watch it with, with football. A coach makes a decision. You know, a quarter of the fans say it was great. A quarter of the fans say it was dumb. A quarter of the fans say, you know what I mean, oh, your guys are bitching about the wrong thing. You know I mean? Like, so that's just how it is. It's what we sign up for. Um, the thing is just to accept that and, and understand that your words aren't yours anymore when you put them into the public. They become colored with what everybody else you know, the person who heard them, the thoughts they had that day, how they're feeling that day, their preconceptions, their opinions, and, um, you know, they'll repeat them back to you, what you said and what you meant with extreme confidence, with supreme confidence, even though they've twisted and contorted them up to their own thing. So I just realized when I put myself out there, man, my words aren't mine anymore, and I don't need to give anybody an explanation because they're already convinced of what I said, even regardless, regardless of actually what I actually said, because <laughs> yeah. it's their words now. It's not my words anymore. You know, that's a, that's a very good point. And, you know, that's something we're definitely going to end on is <laughs> once you put yourself out there, you know, just leave it be. Exactly. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming on Strength Talk Podcast today. Uh, before you go, though, I want to make sure that people know where to find you so they can definitely look up your products, your seminars, everything that you're doing out there in the field. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Uh, well, my website, it's uh, nicktumanello.com, spelled spell with two M's, two L's, or performanceu, the letter U, dot net. takes you to the same website. Perfect. And the, all the information on there? Yeah, everything's there. And then just a quick little plug. I have, um, you know, I have a previous book on human kinetics that was published this pre- not this past March, but um, the March before that, called Strength Training for Fat Loss. I still get great feedback from it. And then this coming spring, spring 2016, I have another a new book being released called uh, Building Muscle and Performance, which I'm extremely, extremely uh, excited about. Nick, I'm a huge fan of human kinetics. Uh, the stuff that they come out with is just gold standard, including yours. So uh, in the spring, I'd love to have you back on the show and talk a little bit more about that new book. Wow, to throw down some shameless plugs of my new book? Absolutely. <laughs> Full episode of shameless plugs. <laughs> I'm down. I'm all down. All right, man. I appreciate your time. I'm sure everyone else does as well. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, man. Thanks for everything you're doing with our field. You got it, man. Guys, head over to Amazon and check out Nick's brand new print book from Human Kinetics, which is Building Muscle and Performance, a program for size, strength, and speed. Uh, Currently, it is on pre-order on Amazon, but this book just released on March 29th, and it is something that I've had on pre-order for a couple weeks now. I'm excited to get into it, and I highly recommend you do too. Until next time, guys, I am Dr. John Russin with the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media.